Bibles, would you stand please as Dan comes this morning to read our first of two scripture readings. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This is the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, 8 to 18. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this is the sixth Advent season that I've spent with you here as your pastor at South Tulsa. And one of the challenges of this season, because during Advent, which is my favorite season of the church year, we talk about the same stories and the same things that God was doing, and we read the same scripture passages. And so one of the challenges is to come to this every year and have something new to tell you as we talk about these things and what's so important and what stands out. And, and as I'm preparing again, I always come back and I say, oh yeah, we said that last year and the year before, but boy, we've got to say it again this year. It's just too important. But I trust that you have the same sense that I do. The more that you read these stories and dig into them, they never actually get old. But they are new for us every single time. And one of the reasons is because these are those stories about the times when heaven came down and God spoke so personally to people that it was new and it was fresh and it was something like the world had never seen and the people of God could never have imagined that they would experience and so this year, in, in that idea of having something fresh, rather than just looking at the stories of the shepherds, which we just read, and the stories of the magi, which we'll read here in just a moment, from the perspectives of the shepherds and the magi, today I want us to think about these stories from God's perspective as much as we can, and who he is, and what he was doing in the lives of the people who he brought into this incredible thing that he was doing like no one had ever seen before and I want to begin with that idea of thinking from God's perspective with this quote from A.W. Tozier who said what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us what it is that that we know and believe about God is important yes but 
If you've ever read any of Tozier's writings, you know he means more than just the content of our knowledge or even the content of our doctrinal beliefs. He means how we know God intimately and personally. And when we think about God, what is it that, that comes into our minds that is the outflow of a very personal and intimate relationship with him where we can say we've encountered him, we've experienced him, we don't just know about him, but we know him. And what we know of God is the most important thing about us. When heaven came down to the shepherds, to the magi, as we've seen in the weeks prior to today, to, to Mary, to Joseph, to Elizabeth, to Zachariah, what was happening at this time in the world, but even more than what happened with these folks, what happened when Christ the Savior was born, is that God made more, more clear than he ever had before who he is, and he made more clear than he ever had before who he is to us, because he came from heaven to earth, he met us where we were, he put on flesh and blood as a newborn baby, and he made his dwelling among us so that we might see him most clearly, that we might know him personally and intimately like never before. And so today we come to Bethlehem and we talk about these two groups of visitors who God brought into the story, who we might say he called, he commissioned into this story, the shepherds and the magi who get to be among the very first human witnesses to the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We begin with Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And it's here, sort of following the rhythm that we followed throughout this whole series of Advent, that we meet the shepherds. And we're told that there were shepherds who were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Nearby where? Well, of course here, Luke is talking about Bethlehem, this little town where all of these amazing things were going to take place. And a few years ago, my wife and I actually got to visit Bethlehem in person. And probably like you, I had in my mind what I thought Bethlehem would look like. I imagined it to look more like the nativity set we had at home. I imagined it to look more like the stories that we've heard throughout the years of, of the hillsides and, and the country people and the simple quaint little town where it would be easy to find a stable in a manger where a child would be born but instead if you've been to Bethlehem you know it doesn't quite look like that today in fact it's surrounded for one thing by a huge wall and security fencing because Bethlehem is actually a part of Palestinian territory so when you go into Bethlehem you you don't necessarily feel peace but you feel the division that has existed in that part of the world for so long, and you, you can sense that there's still tension that exists among the peoples. And, and then you go into a city that's a lot more modernized than we imagine, and you finally come to the place where they commemorate Christ's birth. Some of you have been to the Church of the Holy Nativity, and if you come expecting to find a stable and a little house and a manger, it's just not like that at all. Instead, it's a big church that represents lots of different denominations and Christian expressions, and you sort of have to weave your way through all of these different sanctuaries and places of worship, and you come past the candles and the lighting, and you finally go down into a place where they say, this is the spot, this is the scene of the manger where Christ is born, and 
If you've never been to the Church of the Holy Nativity, I apologize that I'm going to spoil that moment for you this morning, but this is the manger scene. It's not what, what you expect. And so I remember walking through the, the Church of the Holy Nativity, and I felt that it was a reverent place, it was a special place to visit, but, but it just didn't feel like I thought it would feel. Well, just a few hours later, we left Bethlehem, we went outside the gate, and we went to a city just right next door. We went up to a high place. We were visiting another site, and we looked back on Bethlehem, and that's when I saw it. I saw this, the, the rolling hills, the, the, the Bethlehem of old. Even on the hillside, you, you can't see in the picture, but we, we actually could see shepherds tending their flocks today on the hillsides. And I said, that, that's it. That's the place where this happened. That's where... There were shepherds, these vagabond men who traveled with their families. 24-7, they, they moved from place to place. They slept with their livestock. Just as shepherds were tending their flocks in these fields, so it was happening in the first century. And they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. Back in the first century, shepherding was not a glamorous job. It was not a clean job. And it was not a highly respected job. In fact, shepherds were just about as common as a person could be. And that's an important part of this story. When we think about for, from God's perspective, what was he doing? Why was he doing it in the way he was? Why did he bring these people into the story? It's a reminder that everyone who worships Christ is welcome there at the foot of the manger. Everyone is welcome, invited to experience, have that intimate personal encounter with the savior and the shepherds who who also were viewed as ritually unclean ritually unclean because of the animals they worked with had this happened in jerusalem in the temple they wouldn't have been welcome but here in bethlehem they were and they found the child in a way that fit their lifestyle and the way that they experienced life scene two is that moment when heaven came down when the angel we can only assume was Gabriel appeared and, and spoke to the shepherds and said, here's what's happening. Here's why this experience is taking place in your life. And it was not only an angel that they saw, but also Luke says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. No wonder they were terrified. And yet Gabriel says to them, do not be afraid. I'm here for a good reason. Today I bring you good news that will cause great joy yes for you and your family yes for the little town of bethlehem but it's also good news for all the people the light of god was breaking in through the darkness it shone around the shepherds and they heard this incredible message continuing on in verse 11 and verse 11 is so important because this is the only place in the new testament that these three words to describe Jesus are used in the same place. And this proclamation that today has been born for you, the Savior, the Messiah, and Lord, was not made in the temple, it was not made in the palace, but it was made right out here in the middle of the fields, in the rolling hills of Bethlehem, to a group of common shepherds who heard, yes, this one who has been born, he is the one who will save you from your sins. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who will be called God's son. And he is the Lord, 
the king that you've been praying for. He's probably not going to be the kind of king you expected. But he is the Lord and the king who you've been praying for and believing that God would send. And, and for the shepherds, before this is all said and done, he will be their Lord and king of their heart and life. And the sign that all of this is going to take place, again, as we think about what, what comes into our minds when we think about God, and that's so important in, in terms of who we are, well, he is the Savior the Messiah and, and Lord and this sign for the shepherds is a sign that made sense to them because the Savior was not wrapped, this baby was not wrapped like a baby of royalty but instead he was wrapped like a peasant. He was wrapped like a shepherd would wrap his own child. Even further the child would be lying in a manger made for animals just like the shepherds tended for so when we think about who God is to us, well, just like I hope he is for you, for the shepherds, he was very personal. And he spoke to them in a very personal way. He brought them into this story using language and using signs and symbols that they could understand. And as he prepared them for what they were about to see, verse 13 says, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared. It was like heaven broke open. And so literally now, heaven came down to earth. Earth and heaven meet. And the, the great company of the host of heaven is praising God. They're saying, along with Gabriel, glory to God in the highest, and down there on earth, peace on those with whom his favor rests. And then this becomes, the, these days people like to say, let's go, right? This is a great let's go moment in the Bible. When heaven closed up, the shepherds looked to one another and they said, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord told us about. Heaven came down to the shepherds and then the final scene of this story is the moment that the shepherds meet the Savior. They hurried off. Indeed, they found Mary and Joseph. They saw the baby laying in the manger just as the angel had proclaimed. We'll talk more about this on Christmas Eve this moment but I love that these common shepherds were not only the first witnesses to the holy family and the holy nativity but they also were the first to go out and share the good news of what they'd seen because they see this they have this encounter they witness the Messiah who's been born and then they go out and verse 17 says they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed they were amazed at what these common dirty lower class shepherds were telling them had taken place and God brought them into this moment heaven came down to the shepherds but there's another group who was invited to be a part of of being among those who were the first witnesses of the Messiah, the Savior who was born. Just to make sure you're still awake, stand with me again, and Dan's going to come and read our second scripture reading for us. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go to, back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. Here we go. Maybe seated again. Thank you. So in our, in our nativity sets at home or when we read the Christmas story, we, we typically picture the shepherds and the magi, the wise men, all there at the same time or one coming right after the other. And I promise I'm not going to be the Scrooge this morning who ruins your nativity set for you or messes up your family's telling of the Christmas story. But we know that the Magi most likely came months, if not more than a year after the shepherds, but they still came and ended up in Bethlehem. They still saw the Messiah who had been born as a child, and they too are very unexpected visitors who God intentionally called and brought into this story that, that they would be among the invited guests who would be the first witnesses to the Savior who was born. And when we meet the Magi, we're told that that first they came to Jerusalem. Of course, if you feel like you're seeking the king of the Jews, you go to Jerusalem where the temple is and where the palace is. They, they came from the east, and what we know about the Magi from what we can piece together in Scripture and also from our history is that most likely coming from the east, they were scholars, they were called wise men, and they were most likely experts in things like dreams, sacred writings and various other kinds of secret arts they probably specialized in astronomy or even astrology which means they made regular observations of symbols and signs in the sky but even more importantly than what their jobs were like is the fact that these magi these wise men were gentiles so here just as we may have been surprised that the Lord brought in a group of common shepherds representing just ordinary folks like us 
to be a part of the story. Here now he's bringing in Gentiles. He's re reminding his people and, and the birth of the Savior comes along with this symbolism that this is not just good news that's going to bring great joy for one kind of people or for one little town or for one group or one group that's all like the rest but that this is good news for all the nations. The Magi being a part of this story, it's like the Great Commission, which comes at the end of Matthew, before the Great Commission was given, that disciples from all nations are going to be made. And here the Magi are present. And, and this, too, was not something new. It shouldn't have been surprising because God had been promising, prophesying to his people all along that this was going to be the case. Consider the words from centuries before from the prophet Isaiah. As I read from Isaiah 60, listen to all of the ways this reminds us of the story of the Magi and what happened. Arise and shine, for your light has come, Isaiah wrote, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over all the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This moment that Isaiah prophesied about that he promised it, it's coming to light here with the Magi as Matthew tells this story. And the Magi were invited, they were called to be among the first witnesses. Just as the, the shepherds represented people from all walks of life, so... The Magi represent the nations. And this is also a reminder, by the way, that someday when we all get to heaven, there's not going to be a special neighborhood just for all the American Christians, okay? And there's not going to be a special neighborhood just for all the Baptists. And there's not going to be a special neighborhood just for all the white people or the black people or the brown people. But together, all the nations who belong to the Lord will be present and will be represented. And the Magi are a symbol of that promise, a reminder of that promise, even here in the first moments that the Messiah was living on the earth as the Savior had been born. When heaven came down after we meet the Magi, when heaven came down, it wasn't an angel in this case, but they indeed saw a sign in the sky. And of course, we love to ask the question, well, what was the sign that they saw for those who who looked for sort of a natural explanation some have said well maybe it was a supernova or maybe it was a comet or maybe it was some rare alignment of of the planets that that if we go back and look at historical star charts we could find or some have said you know there was this period between september of 3 bc and may of 2 bc when jupiter was in what was called retrograde motion which means for almost a year there, it would look in the sky like Jupiter was going the wrong direction. And so maybe it was that, that Jupiter, God just synced this up with the timing and that that's the bright star that they saw. Or maybe we could just settle on the fact that God appointed a sign, a star by whatever means he had that brought the Magi to the light, that brought the nations into this moment. I love the way Charles Spurgeon said it. He said this star was put into commission to await the Lord, to be his herald to people from far away. 
and to be God's usher to conduct these wise men into the presence of Christ. Or you might even say it this way, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declared the glory of God and the sky above proclaimed his handiwork. It was through a sign in the sky that, that heaven came down and sometimes that probably seems a little strange to us because we we know from the hebrew scriptures that god was not in favor of astrology he he told his people time and again to avoid things like divination so rather than seeing god as condoning something like astrology what i think is happening here is exactly what we saw with the shepherds just as god spoke to them personally using language they could understand so with the magi he did the same thing he gave them a sign in the sky that they could see that they would recognize that they would know is new but this time the sign was bringing them into the truth the real truth and one quote that I, I believe i've probably shared with you every single year that we've done advent together but it's just so good i have to share it again it comes from kenneth bailey the child was born for the likes of shepherds the poor the lowly and the rejected but he also came for the rich and the wise who later appeared with gold frankincense and myrrh but before the magi could make their way to bethlehem to see the messiah they first had to go through a guy named herod and i've decided rather than calling herod the name that history gives him herod the great i like to call him herod who called himself great because that's the only reason he got that name he gave it to himself if you look into the history of herod you know he he was not great in fact his character was one of cruelty he was self-serving and he would enter into any unholy alliance he could in order to gain more power and more wealth for himself herod was such a cruel man that he even had some of his own family members killed when they displeased him in fact there was a saying in greek back in those days that was a play on words they would say it's better to be herod's hus than herod's huios which means it's better to be herod's pig than herod's son though he is credited with building the great hebrew temple in jerusalem rebuilding it even grander than in solomon's day some said he also built temples for the worship of caesar and the greek and roman gods he profaned the holy places of God's people, and he was not a true Jewish king. He made a deal with Rome, and he took what did not rightfully belong to him. So make no mistake, when Herod says, I want to learn more about this king, I want to meet him, he's not like the shepherds, he's not like the magi, he sees the birth of this baby as a threat. So he calls together all of his wise people he asked the chief priests and others where is this supposed to happen and they say well bethlehem is what the prophecy says and so he called the magi together secretly he asked them together verse 7 what was the exact time that the star appeared and then i've always imagined verse 8 in the best politician's voice i can muster where herod says well, please go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. We know that his intentions are not worshipful, but they're sinister. And yet make no mistake, again, 
the Magi did not end up where the Messiah was because of Herod's orders, but they were still directed there by God himself. That sign in the sky, the star, led them forward, and we come finally to the moment when the Magi meet the Messiah. And isn't this a beautiful picture that upon coming into the house, these Gentiles, who had been searching for true wisdom their whole life, found what they were looking for, not when they found a king who was sitting on a throne, not in a palace, not in one who was surrounded by soldiers, but when they too laid their eyes on the baby and they saw Joseph and Mary, and when the Magi from the east met the Messiah, they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then, this is where we get our tradition of exchanging gifts on Christmas. They opened their treasures and they presented him with kingly gifts, gifts like gold and expensive gifts that appealed to the senses like frankincense and myrrh. I love the little meme that goes around that says, well, if these were wise women instead of wise men, they would have brought diapers, formula, and casseroles. I thought that was, that was pretty good. But the wise men bring gifts of value, and, and lest we forget, as we talked about a few weeks ago, not long after this, Joseph is going to be warned in a dream, Herod is out to kill you and your family. You need to flee, and they go to Egypt. They seek refuge in Egypt, and might these valuable gifts for this poor family have been of great use to them when they found themselves in a foreign country. And God protected the Magi too. Being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they too went home. They took another route and they went back to the nations with the ability to proclaim the good news that is great joy for all people. That the one who was born as Savior, Messiah, and Lord had come. We move into our time of invitation today. I want those three words to guide us. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And as you think about that question that I began with, what, what comes into your mind when you think about God? That, that indeed is the most important thing about you. Today, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? as the one who was not just born of a virgin, but, but died for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you know him as Savior? And do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one that God promised, the Son of God? And do you know him as Lord? Is he the king of your heart and the king of your life? Do you know God in that personal and intimate way? Just as God was personal with the shepherds, the Messiah was not wrapped like a baby of royalty, but like the child of a shepherd. Just as he was personal with the Magi, he spoke to them through a new sign in the sky that they could follow, that they too would be able to bow down and worship the one who is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Do you know God intimately and personally in that way? Here's how the invitation is going to happen today. Our ministers are going to be available here in just a moment. If you have never trusted Christ as the, the Savior for your sins, as, as God's Son and believed in Him as the Messiah and, and called Him Lord, the King of your heart and life, this is an open call here in just a moment for you when we stand and sing to step out, 
to come to Christ and our ministers will just meet you, receive you. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you more about how you can today say that. Jesus is Savior, Messiah, and Lord to me. But here's the other way that, that we can experience this together. If you have made that decision, if, if your life does belong to the Lord, you've committed your very all to him, today would you just be willing here in a moment just to tell him, thank you, Lord, for being my Savior. Thank you that you are the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that you are king of my heart and life. Maybe today just in a fresh way would be good for each and every one of us just to remember who he is and to give him thanks. Would you pray with me? Lord, I do thank you today for your word, which is new for us. It is living and active. And each time we read it through your Holy Spirit, you have a way of speaking to our hearts in fresh and new ways. And today, I simply pray that each and every one of us would acknowledge that you are Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And if there's anyone here or watching online who has never made that decision, that life commitment, Lord, would you make that, that call on their heart so strong today that they can't resist and would you just bring them to you lord that they would say today i'm coming to jesus for those of us who know you who who call ourselves christians disciples would you give us today that fresh reminder of what it means to live like you are savior messiah and lord i pray this in jesus name amen